birth control itself, often denounced as a violation of natural law, is nothing more or less than the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit, of preventing the birth of defectives, or of those who will become defectives. Margaret Sanger, 1920. Let's talk about that today. What you believe about God dictates how you will think. Our philosophies dictate how our culture behaves. Politics is simply the enforcement of cultural norms. The truth claims about God, philosophy, culture, and policies will affect what we value. When these things are in alignment, revival is possible. Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. To my right, I got Mrs. Nikki. How are you? Good morning. I'm very good. How are you? Doing well. Glad to have you on here. Dealing in the chair of theology, the reason yes. why we believe what we believe. That's correct. <laughs> and moving on over uh, to yours truly, sitting in the chair of philosophy, the rigor that the Christian must bring. To my left, I've got Mr. Steve. How are you? I'm good this morning, John Arthur. I see you've got some uh, fancy new shirt on there this yes. morning. I like that Yes, shirt, we do dude. have a new shirt. Let's see if I can get this with the angle here. We've got our brand new yes. shirt. So for those I of you like who that, are listening, dude. we are also now moving to YouTube. Okay, this will be kind of fun. We're moving to YouTube, but uh, we have new shirts. So you can find them on Amazon, Further Every Day. Look up Further Every Day, and you too could have this wonderful shirt. We're not saying that um, Paul was wearing this on Mars Hill when he gave his <laughs> dissertation, <laughs> but uh, he too could have looked this cool if he was. And uh, to Mr. Steve's left, we've got Mr. Charlie. Yes, How are you this I'm morning? Doing great. Good to see you guys today. Glad to have you in the chair of politics. And political, this is, unfortunately. Um, again, when things are, when everything is religious, nothing is political. When mm. everything's political, nothing is religious or moral. Something to think yeah. about. But today we're going to go off a common theme here. Biological determinism. The idea that your physical nature determines what you will be, who you are will always, has always caused immense human suffering because it strips the innate, image-bearing nature of man from those on whom it's applied. And what we see is with, with the eugenics movement is simply that. And we, we watch the culmination of that in... Germany, and I'm going to make the argument today, we're all going to make the argument that it happened here in the States, and it is continuing to happen. But Margaret Sanger, who is she? The, 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 we were talking before the podcast started. This is a really hard um, topic to go through. Uh, Miss Nikki, you, I, I know that you've been listening to Margaret Sanger's autobiography in preparation for this. I have too. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an interesting woman. I mean, there's a lot going on there and, and there was a lot of hardship and sorrow in her early life. Yes. I think it's really important to understand where somebody comes from. Um, and this, this is actually, um, why I would say that eugenics is such a wrong, uh, way to go is because you have to look at a person's childhood. What, you know, Charlie always says perception is reality. And what you perceived as a child becomes your reality. And you think that becomes everybody's reality. You don't understand 
And they're, yeah. therein is the problem. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you think it's everybody's reality. So that, pivoting from there, it's important to note who she was. And, and th- this was a hard one to prep for, and, and I feel woefully underprepared because Margaret Sanger said a lot of things on both sides of the issue. I don't want to straw man someone. We need to make sure that we're steel manning our arguments. We are making that person as strong as we can possibly create their position before we deal with it. Anything less is... A, common, and and B, destructive. We want to make sure that we understand their point. So to, to understand where Margaret Singer came from, it, it's important to know a little bit of history. In the 1700s, any of y'all remember Thomas Robert Malthus in his theory? So Malthus looked at the arithmetic increase in the supply of food. So that means that we're slowly adding more farmland, one plus one plus two plus three, and it's a slow growth. He said that the arithmetic growth of the food supply would be outpaced by the logarithmic growth, the exponential growth of humankind. He said by the 1900s, the 2000s, we would be suffering from overpopulation. A lot of people would be dying. So you have to understand that this is a common resounding theme in the 17 and 1800s. Margaret Sanger was born in the 1800s. This recurring theme was being played out along with Darwinian evolution. That is a scary, scary mixture Mm -hmm. because where, where, where do you think that lands? What kind of, what kind of ideology or, or science or pseudoscience does that going to, is that going to come up with? I, I call it pick and choose. Eugenics. Sure. I have to, you're saying that, and I was thinking, yeah, but, but he, never, he never walked into a Walmart. I mean, all they had was those little stores. He never had the idea of food production Thumbs and the, us, yes. the way that we could manufacture things and the farming and, and the uh, way we were able to um, increase more food supply in better farming ideas. The alarmism surrounding the mass overpopulation and the death of of the human race has been going on for hundreds of years. We've been it still goes on today. We've been postulating with pseudoscience for years that this world is going to end in some horrible <clears throat> uh, dystopia where everyone is is you know we we have all these people but we don't have enough food to feed them. That's or we have all these people but we don't have a climate. I was going to say oh. Al Gore is probably one of the biggest proponents of one of those ideologies in recent time. I mean, he ran the, the, the face of the earth crying, we're going to die, we're going to die by 2010, was right. it? Two, two, I, I don't know what the year was, but he was preaching that, and that's the same principle that we have going on here. It's the same lie that Satan has been <laughs> yeah. telling over and over again. Using so, different words. You no, know, it it's interesting that, you know, you have folks out there like Sanger and others that um, want to over the worldwide want to so call eliminate poverty. Well, it's like Jesus said, you're always gonna have the poor. You are and you're gonna mm-hmm. have 
those that are poor and those that are in extreme poverty throughout the world because society overall in times is going to produce that and the fact that there are people that just don't want to produce. Correct. They don't want to be useful parts of society. So that's They're a really just, good segue. That's yeah. a really good segue into what the eugenicists of the 18 and 1900s believed. They believed that there were these folks who were not interested in developing uh, themselves into robust human beings. And this was a genetic disposition, not a spiritual disposition. Remember, we're talking about a secular humanist worldview, one that is ultimately materialistic monism, if you will, i.e., the material that makes up the universe is all that there is. There's no dual spirit and material. There's just material. So when you have a materialistic monist view, secular humanism, you're going to look for things like race, gender, uh, family tree to explain the lack of success and the intergenerational poverty that affects certain people groups. You're going to say that they are genetically defective in some way. And, that, and that's really what brings us to the 19-teens and 1920s, where Margaret Sanger was a part of the eugenics movement. The eugenics movement, by the way, that it should not go without noting that they, uh, they're, they're the ones that suggested gas chambers in the American left. The American left were the ones that suggested gas chambers, mass sterilizations, and we'll get to this, but they were partly successful. So... <clears throat> Margaret Sanger, they, the Planned Parenthood wing has somewhat ditched her because they've realized that it is a, it's an untenable position, but there is a response to her detractors on Planned Parenthood's website. Link in the description below, and we're going to be going over this today, and we're going to read it and kind of go through it. I, I think it's really telling that they're still not willing to completely let go of Sanger's legacy because they know that it is very much what she was growing towards and, and, and building building up. So, John Arthur, let me just say this. In, the fact that we had a law that did not allow uh, there to be talk or any information provided for birth control is very it's sad. I understand the time and the fact that this woman did stand up and promote this and 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 it's very good i mean birth control is not bad because there's a lot of women who need to stop having children because they physically can't anymore without causing sure. great harm and um or for one reason or another so that is a good thing so her standing up against that law and having that changed is a good thing for the wrong reasons yes but a, a good but thing it's a good thing reasons. for the wrong reason and in, in Nikki and I, <laughs> we have battled this. <clears throat> Holy cow, have we battled this at home. Let me try to sum up. For those that don't know who Margaret Sanger is, number one, you should read and do your own research. Amen. Don't Correct. sit here and just take our word for it. Do your own research. Here's how I would sum up Margaret Sanger. She And, and you have to get into the context of her childhood and everything. She stood on something that should have been taken care of by the 
the local New Testament church. It was not. So she went ahead and got on this movement. True, she might not have ever spoken the words abortion. She might have said, no, I don't agree with abortion. But what she did is she is the poster child for what happens when you get on the slippery slope. Yes. You lose your footing, and then somebody else hijacks it and runs with it. And that is what the abortion movement has done. They have taken Margaret Sanger, and she provided the platform, the foundation. They ran with it. I'm going to argue that she actually is not as innocent as as a lot of people. You and I would agree on that because you look Mm -hmm. at you look and we're going to build this case today. We're going to look at her words and we're going to look at her actions and we're going to attempt to. And this is very hard to do. I really want to be careful not to attribute motive. Don't ever want don't ever attribute motive to someone. Look at their actions. Look at their deeds because attributing motive is something that is that is. It's, a, it's bad faith. It's done in bad faith most of the time. However, we can strongly look at what she did and follow her words when she said them and then what occurred afterward and deduce where she may have been. And I think that's all we can do. And it so, should be noted what she didn't say when it, she had the opportunities. Or what she supported when it occurred. Yeah. Let, let's get to it. So, um, And today... He said, do your own research. We want to be looking at other people's research. Today, we're going to be trying to mostly work with Margaret Sanger's words from her books, from her publications. We're going to be in context, by the way. You've got to be really careful because you'll take these one-liners out of context, and conservatives will run with them. And Guys, guys, just like the Bible, read the whole paragraph. Read the whole chapter. Straw manning is not healthy. It is not a good thing. There's more than enough stuff that's damning here. In fact, the fact that she's not some maniacal, laughing Nazi grabbing Jews by the throat out of a tank, it's she's not that cartoon. Right. She's more scary than that because she's like you. She's like me. She's She is a human who has reasonable proclivities that developed, and when she got a movement behind her, you can see what that movement has done. That is more scary than the caricature. So let's make sure that we don't develop a caricature. So uh, from Planned Parenthood, uh, this will be slide one, Mrs. Producer. So was Sanger a racist? Well, let's go ahead and read this. Uh, Do you want to get this, Miss Nikki? Do you have it? Uh. I'll get it. No worries. If you can get the next one. Arguments continue about whether or not her outreach to the black community was racist. We know that Sanger was conscious of race and that she was capable of revolutionary thinking that defied the sexism of the time. She did not apply that revolutionary thinking to race and class, choosing instead to follow the paternalistic attitudes of the time and willfully ignoring how black people were harmed by her movement. Okay. Real, real quick, let's 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 break this down for just a minute because there's a few things here that I want to deal with. Uh, thoughts, anyone? Because I've got a few. Mm-hmm. Let's let, let let's start to break this down. So, whether or not her outreach to the black community was racist. Well, uh, actually, there is a really good quote, and uh, go ahead and pull this up, uh, Megan. This should be. Oh, I don't have that on the slides. I missed that. I'm sorry. This is a quote from Sanger. 
As an advocate for birth control, I wish to take advantage of the present opportunity to point out the unbalance between the birth of the fit and the unfit. Admittedly, the greatest present menace to civilization can never be rectified by the inauguration of a cradle competition between these two classes. Okay. Who were the fit and the unfit as understood by geneticists? Because we have to go back to the time, because she'll talk about morons and imbeciles. Those were medical terms at the time. Right. Okay? It's, not just a, it's not a pejorative in that case. We're talking about the mentally defective. She had, a, uh, in the book that I was reading, she called them unintelligent. She thought she did promote the idea that, um, actually in the, in the book that I read, it said that uh, she was for women who were unintelligent to receive a pension if they would sterilize. And, and so define unintelligent. And this is really important. You look at Edwin Black's work. That's a, they will be. do IQ tests. There's a historical precedent for this. They would do IQ tests. Right. They would ask appellations. They would have, by the way, what created the IQ test were the eugenicists in the 1920s, the precursor to modern day IQ tests. They would ask appellations about Broadway shows. They would ask Italians about American culture and they would have a test. And Southern Italians would come here. They would know Italian arias. They would know Italian culture. But they would ask specifically about New England culture. And that was how they rated IQ. So anyone from Appalachia, Southern Italy, the blacks down in South, in South America, uh, the Southern America, none of them had a hope in 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 in. in eternity of getting a good grade on these IQ tests. It was rigged. It was rigged. It was rigged because they were for the American eugenicist movement and Sanger embedded in this movement mm -hmm. was looking for the Nordic superior race, not the Aryan mm -hmm. race, the Nordic superior race. And it's a, it's a distinction without much of a difference, but just based on who liked what features. So, that's really important because she saw human suffering as in in large families yes as an outgrowth of a genetic predisposition to not be capable of raising children and and in one of the most misquoted quotes from her she says and I don't think it's that misquoted but they'll say it's misquoted Margaret Sanger will say uh best thing the large family could do to its youngest members is kill them. Right. This is in the context, <laughs> however, this is in the context of two things. A, 12th child in a large family, 60% chance of mortality. And that mortality and the, and the uh, uh, burden of all of those children, her argument was that it would have been better to have just killed a couple of children at the end, the tail end, than to have allowed the whole family to suffer. Also note, this is the age of eugenicists where they were going crazy. Not only were they forced sterilizing, they were taking babies in the delivery room and allowing them to die on the table. Well documented by Edwin Black. By the way, the war against the weak. Really good work. Uh, not a conservative at all. 
but he definitely comes out swinging against the eugenics movement. Uh, you look like you had something to say. Any thoughts? Well, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm seeing that people are, are trying to play God and trying to solve an issue. And we as Christians, we look at this and say, um, there's a God in heaven who has an answer for you. So in in the book, she, she describes that as a child, that all the families that were, had large numbers of children were poor, uneducated, alcoholics, poverty stricken, and she associated uh, them, you know, that was poverty, large children, large family poverty, small amount, uh, small number of children was wealth. Uh, usually people who um, had small families owned their own house. They, they lived, you know, clean, healthy, you know, so those were her mindset. But the reality is you can go back in history and find people with lots of children who lived good, healthy lifestyles and were productive and not poverty stricken and not alcoholics and not unintelligent. You can find those people that they did ex- exist. It's a spiritual issue. It and, is. And so from the chair of theology, you're, you're looking at this as the perspective of <clears throat> God told us to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. How we steward our children is an issue of where our spirit is and well, where well, and how we steward ourselves actually. Yes. I mean, if you're if you're a Christian and you're looking at this that God is providing for me, a Christian man is going to work hard. Yes. A Christian woman is going to work hard. They're going to make different choices that are I mean, what it defined poverty? Does that mean that um you're living so poor that you can't provide the next food on the table or is poverty meaning that you don't have the best of everything? So yes. you have to define poverty, but a man and a woman who love God and who end up having 12 children, as a matter of fact, my my doctor that delivered three of my children had 12 children, and they lived uh, a fine life. Kids on the mission yes. field, pastors. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they did not live in poverty. Now, he's a doctor and she was a nurse, but they made choices that put them in a, a good position. So when you were dealing with a man-made philosophy you have to bring it back to the cross but before you do you got to meet it where it is right you got to meet it where it is so when someone says that those children are better off not living and you'll hear this argument commonly from the pro-abortion movement that that her ideology is spawned and i'm, I'm going to get to the chair of culture and politics in just a minute i'm coming to y'all because we want to provide an answer for this <clears throat> If you are going to value the human based on their worth or their quality of life, what have you done to the value of human life? You've put it on a sliding scale. What happened in the 30s and the 40s after we put human life on a sliding scale in, the Ger- in Germany where they picked up on the American eugenicist movement? Okay. That lends well to the chair of culture. What does that do to our culture when we put the value of human life of children on a sliding scale based on what their value is to society or what they, how well they do in, in school well, or how, the, how well their home life is situated? It, it makes them worth you know, dollar values instead of, worth uh, godly values where God values life and and the worldly value is uh, 
you know, money. And people will use and do whatever makes them the most money. Abortion, for, for instance, and then taking what's left over from the abortion use and using it to make money. I mean, really? We're talking, you know, making money off of fetal tissue. I, I, we're talking putting value on Correct. on bodies. That's where it ends up. <laughs> you 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 want to look at it. It's not a slippery slope. We're 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 in the we're in the valley. We've fallen, and and so politically, and you know you know the answer to this, chair of politics. But politically, what happens when you put a sliding scale value on human life? Are there some people it's better to sterilize? You, you know, we were talking about the, the IQ test. Who's going to determine what level you change things? Who, who's going to decide, okay, if you score below a 70, you're out. That's, that, I mean, when I say pick and choose, that's really what I mean. It's, it's you make it, you make it, you make it, you don't, you don't, you don't. That's that's where you're coming up. And who are we to say? And that's that's not our choice. And you look at what Margaret Sanger believed. She literally, I'm, I'm getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit, but she literally said that a marriage license should will yeah. not be issued to to anyone other than for purposes of cohabitation. You will have to get an individual license per child that you breed. And that will be a state-made decision. And that right there is Dangerous. playing God to the ultimate. Because yeah. you have to put your faith in the state that right. they're going to be God and make the right choices. And they're not. They're human beings that are flawed. Exactly. But, but it, it, it goes beyond that. So now if I have... It, this gets really super political now because... Now, if you as a family have irritated me as a leader that can affect this position, you don't get to have any children. And that right there is where it goes. And you actually, let's move forward. Let's mm -hmm. move forward because, because there's a, there is a ton of data to tackle, and that is in the, in the later stages of reading this, this Planned Parenthood excuse for Sanger. And Parenthood's excusal for Sanger. So let's go ahead and go just a little bit further. Picking up again, uh, that's going to be slide one, I believe. We're going to go just a little bit further down. Yes. Um, starting at the fundamental belief. Uh, Miss Nikki, can you get that? Um, more from Planned Parenthood? That's the part you want me to read? No, no, no. The, the highlighted portion there. The, above that, above that, at the fundamental belief. The fundamental belief underscored at every meeting. Okay, so we need, I see that. My apologies there. Yeah, I'm lost on, because I, I, I see it. that. Go ahead. You got to go ahead and get it, Mr. The Jones. fundamental belief underscored at every meeting mentioned in much of the behind-the-scenes correspondence and evident in all the printed material put out by the Division of Negro Service was that uncontrolled fertility presented the greatest burden to the poor. Let me read that one more time. Was that uncontrolled fertility presented the greatest burden to the poor, and Southern blacks were among the poorest Americans? 
In fact, the Negro Project did not differ very much from the earlier birth control campaigns in the rural South. It would have been more racist in Sanger's mind to ignore African Americans in the South than to fail at trying to raise the health and economic standards of their communities. So this is from Birth Control or Race Control 2001. Uh, again, a, a pro, uh, pro-abortion perspective. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit because we've already established that it wasn't just the Negroes, correct? It was right. the Appalachians, the yeah. Southern Italians. Yep. The Jews. The Jews. It, it, it goes on. And she wasn't just, I mean, she, there were white people too. She would, I, I, she would have. That's what I was sitting here Italians. waiting for. Yeah. It's like, you know, does But that really we're not know? Appalachians in Italian. She would, she would still an unintelligent woman who white and poor probably should not there have were, Correct. There were plenty of Appalachians that were white people that lived in Appalachian. And, yeah. you know, and you're going to see that if, if you read Edwin Black's history, uh, you'll see that there's, they would be rolling down the highway, so to speak, and they would paddy wagon up the Irish or the or the uh, 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 Scottish man sitting on the side playing his banjo. They would grab him and they would imprison him. If it was a woman, in a lot of cases, they would sterilize her against her right. will. And we're, we're, we're getting to the historical precedent that Planned Parenthood even admits to, but that is what they would do. And it was based on these pseudoscience IQ tests that were a knowledge-based test. Of course, you're going to have people with physical barriers and cultural barriers not, not knowledgeable about what was playing on Broadway. But uh, slide two, more from Planned Parenthood, if you can get that, Miss Nikki. More from Planned Parenthood. Okay, so um, John Arthur, I am sorry, but are we going to the next section right here? Because I, I can't see the screen. Right here, right here. Here you go. And you can take this one out. <laughs> More from Planned Parenthood. However, it is true that Margaret Sanger made a speech on birth control to a woman's auxiliary branch of the Ku Klux Klan in Silver Lake, New Jersey in 1926. Sanger was so intent on her mission to advocate for birth control that she chose to align herself with ideologies and organizations that were explicitly ableist and white supremacist and so in doing so she undermined re- reproductive freedom black people latino people indigenous people immigrants people with disabilities people with low incomes and many others so again i would say that this is just part of your natural consequences right this is part of your natural consequences of that but the the thing is that that just kills me is that there are that list, what does that list sound like what we've been talking about? The exact targets. Well, actually, I was thinking it's a good thing they didn't get some of my family because I probably wouldn't be here. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. serious. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, my great-grandparents. My grandfather was a drunk, and he, he, he was abusive. And my grandmother um, had many children, the last one which she had to give to somebody else to raise because she was unable to raise it. So... You know, where, where does that put a lot of us? If we were to go back in our family right. history, how many of us may not even be here today because somebody in your family didn't meet the status quo? And that right there is the issue. There is no room for free will because we are going to manipulate and control. That's one of the things about the left. You'll, you'll find 
they'll say, my body, my choice. It's not their body, and it's not their choice. They'll say, you must take the vaccine. Wait, well, wait, wait, yeah. wait, 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 that's someone else's body <laughs> again. That's someone else's body again. You can't have children. That's someone else's choice. That's someone else's body. You will find that the left-leaning ideology will always go for your personal individualistic freedom. Because the thing is, after you remove God as the standard, you have nothing to appeal to other than the greater good. That's a key statement Which, right there. You ought to say that again. That is where it, it comes down to. When you have lost the North Star of God as our authority, you have nowhere else to appeal to than the greater good. Who defines the greater good? God help us if we know. Okay? It could be one group today, another tomorrow. It could be one group today, another tomorrow. Daniel's off, off in the studio here saying the greater good. It's, oh my gosh, no, uh, no hot fuzz references here, Daniel. You're fired. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know what's, but John Arthur, you know what's really interesting about Margaret Sanger is that people don't necessarily realize this. She's all about birth control, birth control, shouldn't have a large family, blah, blah, blah. And her family was not what you would call rich. No. Mm -mm. She was the sixth of 11 children. Yep. Margaret, what happens if we said mm, three is the cutoff? Correct. Are you willing to make it retroactive? Hello? Dear? Yeah. Just, <clears throat> just, just a thought. Again, the thing with birth control, the thing with abortion, those who are in, in favor of it, you're already born. How about you go first? I'm sorry, that's a little bit mean. And their mom but left? It, yeah. It's it, it's one of those situations yeah. where she you, was what a drunk, wasn't she? No, not no, Margaret Sanger. No, no. No, not, not she was sick. She was sick oh, that's and right. she she yeah. she became ill. And again, that's one of the driving motivators of Sanger. She saw with with without a belief in God, she saw God as part of the problem. There you go. And, and if you That's really, it. if you really want to dig into yeah. it, and and I want to get to that in just a little bit, we're going to hear a clip from her in just a little bit. It really gets interesting. Um, actually, go ahead and 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 play the uh, Sanger interview, uh, Mrs. Producer. Yes, please and thank you. Let, let's go ahead and listen to this, and we're going to cut off when he goes for a break. But um, I think it's interesting. Go ahead and play it, please. Do you believe in sin? When I say believe, I don't mean believe in committing sin. Do you believe there is such a thing as, a, as sin? Well, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just mark when they're born. That, to me, is the greatest sin that people can, can commit. But sin in the ordinary sense that we regard it do you believe or do you not believe? Well, what? What would they be? Do you believe that infidelity is a sin? Well, I don't, I'm not going to specify what I think is sin. I've stated what I think is the worst sin. The yes, sin. but then you asked me to say what, and I, and I said what, and, and, and uh, you refuse to answer me? Ah, yes. I don't know about infidelity. It has so many personalities to it, and what a person's own belief is. You mm -hmm. can't, I couldn't generalize um, any of those things as, as being sin. Murder is a sin. Well, I naturally think murder is a, well, a sin or not. It's a terrible act. In just a moment, Mrs. Sanger, I'd like to ask you about...
Let's go ahead and switch back over here. But for now, she earlier in that interview goes and says the greatest sin that one can do is bring a child into this world, right? That's the greatest sin. <clears throat> she says, it's the greatest sin is that you could bring a child into this world that's unfit or won't be fit. That's that. That is a secular no, humanist. No, what, what was the exact quote? <laughs> well, well, I was, what got me was she was saying that's the worst sin, but infidelity. Well, that has so many personalities and so many faces she, to it. She as, wants to explain that away as you know, and, and murder. Well, it's terrible. It's a terrible act, but bringing children into the world that make become prisoners—that's the worst sin in the world. So she is excusing other behavior because she is focused on the one. Let's One deal with behavior. That. Chair, chair of theology, go ahead and deal with that. Well, you, how do you say? You can tell that she does not have any religious beliefs. She has a an agenda. Yes. And her agenda mm-hmm. is about children. Now, you can say that they're marked and they'll become prisoners, but the reality is, you can be a wealthy family and one of your children come up and be a prisoner, and yet. You would be allowed to have children because you are, you know, a decent member of society. And and, and and by the way, that's a great point. On the note of castration, they would they would castrate folks for stealing chickens, but not for grand larceny. Think about that for a moment. If you had a Appalachian chicken thief, they would. And again, I'm I'm a. This is this is the war. Uh, on the week from Edmund Black. Again, sorry, I don't have quotes prepped for the slides, but Edmund Black goes in and he he brings out all these cases where chicken thieves would be castrated and their lines removed by by these eugenicists. And 30-something states passed laws authorizing the government to forcefully castrate people based on these sorts of assumptions. However, if you were rich... And if you was if it was a grand larceny event, if it was the robber barons doing it, right, you're fine. No, culturally, that sounds like a caste system, doesn't it? It does. And it, it, essentially, exactly it, I think it's what it was, especially when you when you <clears throat> look at the IQ test that was very much set up to get rid of a certain group of people. This was eugenics. Here is really trying to get rid of what you. Uh, deem as um, less than human or less, you know, you just don't deserve to live. Your line doesn't deserve to live. Social engineering. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly. a view of that not all people come from God. And and, and it, you have to take God out of the equation because if, if you want to have God in the equation, it doesn't work. Correct. Once you have divorced man from his image bearer status, this is what you get. And chair of politics, I just, you know, we've heard from the other chairs here. What does this mean when we have taken sin off the table, but instead set up a new morality, a new God, the state? Now it's whoever is strongest and controls the power becomes God. And that's what we see in our culture today. I mean, truly it is. In... What's really ironic is is when you look at the the Democrats right now, um, they they preach all of the wokeness and the progressivism and, and things of that sort, and yet there's a lot of contradiction within it. Well, who wins out in those arguments? 
Now, forget Republicans or people, conservatives, whomever, religious right. Forget those people. They're not part of that conversation. Even in the Democratic Party, there's a lot of arguing about what's more important. Correct. And when you look at Margaret Sanger's interview right there, there was so much contradiction just in that minute of clip that we played. It was easy to see this is not a person you want to follow. This is not a person that you want making policy decisions. This is not a person that you want affecting your family. Correct. So just be aware. That's where it leads. That's where it leads. It's important to remember that they're going to start to enforce it. And and, and enforce it, Sanger did actually want to. Um, we, we should go just a step further. There's a... Uh, I, 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 I wish I had the slide, but eugenicists simply, or excuse me, eugenicists imply or insist that a woman's first duty is to the state, <laughs> Sanger says. We contend that it is her duty to herself is the first duty to the state. Uh, we maintain that a woman possessing adequate knowledge of her reproductive functions is the best judge of the time and conditions under which her child should be brought into the world. We further maintain that it is her right, regardless of all of the considerations, to determine whether she shall bear children or not, or how many children she should bear. Okay, Sanger, 1919. I'm not going to finish that quote. We get the idea. Um, also from Sanger, so that, that was written by her in 1919, also from Sanger, a marriage license shall in itself give a husband and a wife only the right to a common household and not the right to parenthood. I can't tell you how many, how wrong that is in so many fronts. <laughs> so let's 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 break that down. What just happened? She just contradicted herself wildly in one publication, speaking to the general public, and then in a different publication. Now years later, but this is consistently throughout her career. She would play to her audience. Yes, mm -hmm. she would say one thing to the public, but another to a eugenics publication in the same breath well you have an organization that you're or you have a movement and you need to get support behind your movement so that's, and that's all she was interested in and, and uh, you know money yeah and that that's still true today i mean people people are going to say things to try to get support for their movement and a lot of it comes financially and that's exactly exactly what's happening she would push for and by the way she was what Pretty much the driving force. I, I think you could safely say she was the driving force behind the the pill. Okay, she was one of the driving. And and look, it's not necessarily wrong to not want to ovulate. Okay, I, I I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the target, the targeting of specific groups in the hope of keeping them from reproducing. She and wanted to choose. She wanted to choose when when and where which people reproduced. She also wanted to choose whether or not she had kids. And look, hey, that that part I'm not going to really argue with. Um I you there 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 are ways to do it and hey, contraception it's not necessarily wrong. Uh, I I it gives me this icky feeling, but I'll leave it be. I'll leave it be. But the fact of the matter is that it didn't really stop at the parents. 
it, it, it goes on further. And I believe this is slide number four. Uh, go ahead and check that, Mrs. Producer. Uh, yes, yeah, so that'd be slide number four. Go ahead and pull that up. Uh, if you can get that, Mr. Charlie, yet Sanger's points of disagreement. Oh, shoot. Hang on just a moment. Oh, and I had it. I'm sorry. I have it. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Sanger's points of disagreement did not prohibit her from embracing harmful eugenic ideas. For example, she endorsed the 1927 Buck versus Bell decision in which the Supreme Court ruled that states could forcibly sterilize people deemed unfit without their consent and sometimes without their knowledge. The acceptance of this decision by Sanger and other thought leaders laid the foundation of tens of thousands of people to be sterilized often against their will. A majority of states would go on to adopt involuntarily sterilization policies leading to more than 60,000 people being sterilized by the states. In the 20th century, these policies targeted people with disabilities and people broadly labeled feeble-minded, mentally defective by the state. Sterilization policies were violently ableist and were applied in deeply racist ways in the South. So many black women were given unnecessary hysterectomies that it gave rise to the euphemism Mississippi appendectomy. In California, 20,000 people were sterilized between 1909 and 1979, which I find very shocking. Among them, a disproportionate number of black Mexican American, I'm sorry, among black Mexican American, Asian American, and in the 1970s and 80s, Indigenous women were sterilized at staggering rates without their consent. At least 25% of Native American women were sterilized between 1970 and 1976. The ripples of the Buck versus Bell decision are still felt today in 2020 at the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. Immigrant detainees were sterilized against their will. Sterilization policies in the U.S. in the 1930s would ultimately inspire some of the worst human rights atrocities in the history of the world, including the Nazi regime, the Nazis regime, regime eugenics laws. While Sanger was not associated with Nazism, her books were among the first burned by Nazis in their campaign against family plan- planning. As were Nietzsche and everyone else. So I'm, I'm just saying that 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 holds zero water that holds zero they burned all the books okay unless it's mein Kampf, they were burning it i'm I'm just gonna say all of the jews too all of the uh um philosophers they burned them so that holds nothing but that that brings the point though right that brings the point let's even though even sorry go ahead i just think this is i'm shocked i guess i i i'm shocked that we even have this law this just shocks me i'm shocked that the supreme court even allowed this to get to this point you've got to remember we have taken back a lot of cultural ground they were moving in the same direction and and again edmund black Really good read uh, is The War on the Week. He's got some really good stuff. The guy is a, is a center left. Like, I, I don't agree with a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's a very, very good researcher. He's done a lot of good stuff on the Holocaust. And you look at the Holocaust, this was an American left ideation that lined up very well with the European 
left, or mm -hmm. the, rather, Europe was so far left, Hitler was considered right-wing, that's where you get alt-right, by the way, conservatives, you're not part of the far far right if you're a, if you're a Nazi, you're Amish if you're part of the far, far right, that is the ultimate right-wing, leave me alone, don't touch me, I'm fully closed in to my own little world, I don't, fully isolationist, that is the furthest right-wing. Alt-right is talking about the difference between Nazis and commies, okay? But the American left was very well aligned with the alt-right, the alternate European right. And what we saw was, uh, you know, one of Sanger's uh, uh, compatriots, the name escapes me at the moment, Hitler literally called it my Bible. This is what I, this is what I read. This is effectively my Bible, talking about the applied biology, as the Nazis like to refer to it, the applied biology of eugenics, mass incarceration, sterilization, and eventually extermination of the unwanteds. So Sanger may or may, or may not have liked the way things happened in Germany, although I will say in the 30s, she did come out and say, hey, uh, it's going to be all right. Germany's going to protect the rights of their citizens. Mm. This is after she sided against these these women. In, in the Buck v. Bell case, you had women who were supposedly promiscuous, and they forced sterilized them. <clears throat> okay, mm -hmm. uh, There are lots of cases where women were raped, and they assumed that they were promiscuous, therefore they were sterilized. How evil. That, that's that, really taking it to another level. How evil. Yeah, even when a woman has something forced upon her, such as, as rape, and as horrible as uh, a thing as rape is, and then sterilize them on top of that, you know, that, that just adds to the worst part of it right there, especially in a cultural sense. Such a contradiction for my body, my choice. Exactly. It, it, but again, <laughs> it's never about their body. It's never. Yeah. It's always about control over someone else. It's never about them. It's always about control. It's always about control. So always. just just note that the, <laughs> these, these and, and just to prove it further, I, I, I want to get our last video. It's a, it's, a, it's a cut from One Minute News, I believe circa 1947. I want to get y'all's reaction to this as we wrap up. Go ahead and hit that uh, Miss Producer. Mrs. Margaret Slee, president of America's Planned Parenthood Federation, maintains that European women should stop having babies for the next 10 years. Don't you think such a theory, such a radical theory, is antisocial? On the contrary, it seems to me that it is more practical and humane. What about the women who want babies now and in 10 years will not be able to have babies? Rather impractical, don't you think? Oh, John, you do ask hard questions. I should think that instead of being impractical, it is really very practical and intelligent and humane. But Mrs. Slee, in this country, having babies is the only thing left which is both unrationed and untaxed. Do you think we really ought to stop? Well, I suppose a subject like that is really so personal that it's entirely up to the parents to decide. But from my view, I believe that there should be no more babies in starving countries for the next 10 years. So let's contextualize that with everything that we just said. This is in the 40s after Buck v. Bell, the forced sterilization of women 
by the United States government, by 30 states. And this is after World War II. Do, do, do you think that she did not support that? I mean, there would have been some qualifiers, wouldn't there? Yeah, you know, what I'm seeing here is I'm trying to solve the problem, and this is how we solve it. And that's it? And that's it. If you don't like it, you can shut up. Yeah, I mean, it's practical, it's humane, it's intelligent. Well, guess what? They didn't stop having babies for 10 years, and the country still exists. Correct. And you know what we did? We found ways to make food better, faster. It just we streamline things. I mean, there's still there's still improving farming ideas today to make it more productive, to make it uh, more essential. I mean, like I said, in the 1940s, did they ever walk into a Walmart? I mean, go into a superstore. You're looking at. What? I mean, if you see somebody from a, a small country come into a Walmart and they go, "Oh my goodness, I've never seen so much food in my whole life in one place." Yeah, thank God we didn't kill Sam Walton while uh, while rooting out all of those uh, those filthy Arkansonians, right? And I'm sure if we looked but in his past, he somebody would have been on the uh, someone would have been sterilized. On the death list. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, so w- w- when when conservatives talk about death panels, this is the this is the natural this is the ultimate one. This is the a- sure. natural falling out of this. So. I want to sort of wrap up today with with around the room, just closing thoughts from the chair of theology. How would you argue to someone who says, "Look, Margaret Sanger's legacy was maybe wrongheaded, but we're going in the right direction because of her. We're going in the right direction oh. because of her." From a theological from a theological standpoint, would you go to the argument, say, of the infinite worth and value of the individual, and also the well, ability, would, the autonomy you know, of parents to the truth okay. of the matter is, you know, you go through the act, but God is the creator of life. God is the one who opens the wound, and God is the one Amen. who brings forth life. And so if God has brought forth life, then God has the answer to sustain life. And sometimes, uh, let me just say this for some of you out there real quick. If you talk to somebody who has a child with a disability, uh Friends of ours who had a child that was born said they would, the child would live about three months. The child lived for 19 years. They don't regret that child. They love that child. There was happiness and joy in those 19 years. Was it hard? Yes, it was. Did they take it on? Yes, they did. Did and they did, have joy? Did it well. And did it well. So that child never talked, never walked, laid in a bed for that 19 years. But guess what? That family found joy in that. That's God. Amen. Amen. From a philosophical Amen. perspective, I just want to ask you, where has this gone and where is it going now? Always look at what a, look at the root, look at the theology of someone's <laughs> philosophy, if you will. If it's a secular humanist theology, we know where that lands. If people, Whenever someone says that religion has killed more people than anything else in the world, you tell them, you're right, secular humanism being the top of the charts. Secular humanism has killed hundreds of millions of people in only two or three centuries. It's killed way more than anything done in the name of Christianity or Islam or Catholicism, if you want to separate the, you know, that from Christianity, Christianity or Islam or any of these others. It has killed way, way more secular humanism. So you want to look at defacing the value of a human being, and you say, some people are not fit 
if they have a child, God decided to intervene into that situation. Life begins at conception. I don't know if you guys have looked at the, the flash of light whenever the egg is conceived. There is a breathing in of the Spirit. Mm. That's God. And that's something that cannot be fully explained by material means. Uh, always look to see where the philosophy is going. Chair culture, what would be your argument to someone who said, um, hey, we're going in the right direction. Women now have the choice to choose uh, abortion. And we'll, we'll, we'll go outside contraception, but let's say that Margaret Sanger was a valuable contribution because she led us down the road to abortion. What would be your response to that? I'd say turn that car around. <laughs> Let's go down a different road uh, because abortion's not the right. You know, it's, it's like Nikki has talked about. There, you know, there are times when for for certain women, abortion is uh, not abortion, but contraception. Contraception, excuse me, is okay to be used. You know, there are times when it it is acceptable because women have certain things going on in their lives or they have life-saving problems that need to be taken care of. But abortion by no means is in any way any good in any kind of form. Um, There's no context where it's acceptable. That, no, um, I, I really don't think so. There's, there's too many times when, you know, they. so many people make the saying, oh, it's for you know, the health of the mother or for life-saving, you know, actually, that's like 1% or less. Yeah, correct. If I'm not mistaken, that's the percentage. And if you want to deal with ectopic, yeah, if you want to deal with ectopic pregnancies, okay, that is is like the yeah, but that they'll put in there. They'll say, yeah, but ectopic pregnancies. Right. Ectopic pregnancies are not abortions. The fixing of the ectopic pregnancy will save the woman by nature unfortunately it will also kill the one week or two week old infant okay in utero infant ectopic pregnancies are not abortions they're very different things when you intervene to save the woman's life by nature unfortunately it will end in the in the child dying but that is not an active act to harm the child that is to clear the tubes that's what you're doing it, it, it's not an active act against the child it's an act to save the mother well the child's not going to make it, it anyway and the child's not going to make it right. anyway so what you're doing is you're, is you're making a choice to save mom that is not an abortion so right. when people bring that up that's a good point when people bring that up say wait a minute it's not an active abortion we're talking about two different things here it's not trying to get exactly. rid of the child is is that the child's not going to thrive the child's not going to live in either of you Exactly. Correct. Exactly. So going over to the chair of politics, just kind of your wrap up for the day. When someone says that Sanger has been a beneficial uh, uh, pillar to our current body politic, what would your response be? Do you want a, a political policy with a certain few number of people being in charge of that, making the decision as to whether you can or cannot have children? That's that's what you're faced with, and I think that's a it, it's horribly wrong. And by the way, you can make the argument, yeah, because you think you're sitting on the right side of the fence. Might I say this? If you were to ask the progressives 
to come up with the ideal human being. They can't do it. It'll be different depending on who we're talking Absolutely to. Absolutely right. And this is why I was talking earlier about the conflicts that they have, the contradictions that they have within themselves. They can't even agree on it. I'll give you a case in point. They, uh, we've elected Joe Biden in this country, who is a white man, who is the lowest on the totem pole in their world, their worldview. Of intersectionality, yes. It's the white man. The old. The old. White man. The old white man. So it's it's all contradictory. And you think that you sit on the right side of the fence, and I can I can be okay in going ahead with this. Folks, every day is a new day. Tomorrow's a new day. And you might be on the And you end. might be on the wrong end tomorrow. You might be on the wrong end of the gun. Yep. yep. So remember that whenever you're talking to someone who is um, enamored with Sanger's legacy, because we we have people alive today who do not have children because the government forcibly cut them open and took out their ability to reproduce. I'm, I'm trying to speak as kindly as well possible stated. because it is absolutely vile and sickening what has occurred in the name of eugenics, Margaret Sanger's movement and she may or may not have been in favor of abortion she she said she wasn't but she also said that people should have the right to choose when they have kids and don't i'm going to leave that alone because it what's more scary than a margaret sanger who set out to destroy and abort babies is the one that we we can tangibly put our hands on one that actively stumped for removing the unfit and then she went to which communities the white trash, what she considered white trash, the blacks, the Asians, and the Indians. Those are the ones that she focused on, and it would be racist for, for her to consider anything else as Planned Parenthood. Okay, guys, whatever helps you sleep at night. Uh, with that said, if you like this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe. The new thing, the new uh, liking is sharing. So sharing is caring. Go ahead and share. Even if you're sharing to yourself, the clicking of the share button helps us out a lot. So uh, I'm not above begging. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> if you didn't like this podcast, go ahead and uh, smash the dislike button twice. If you have an argument go, that you think that we missed or something you want to add, if you want have some interesting stuff from Edwin Black or someone else that uh, we missed, go ahead and put that in the comment section. Helps with the algorithm makes uh, YouTube upset. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. That's all we have for you. Bye. 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 Just kidding. One more thing. One more thing. Going around the room. Your favorite Margaret Sanger quote. Is there a favorite Margaret Sanger quote that sticks out as particularly perturbing? I think that uh, all women in the starving countries should not have children for 10 years. I think that's a pretty rough one. Uh, I, I, I like this one, and I sent this to everyone in the uh, in the group chat that we have. Birth control itself is one I read at the beginning. Birth control itself often denounces a violation of natural law. It's nothing more or less than the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit, preventing the birth of the defectives and those who will become defectives. I think that's particularly egregious. And by the way, that tells you the spirit in which that birth control was developed. Okay, it's not just for the women, but it was also for her ideology. Moving over to the chair of culture, your favorite Ooh, Margaret Sanger quote. Man, God, that's that's some digging there, dude. I, I could line them up. And, uh, but, you know, her ideas on sin, 
was kind of kind of blew me away there. I, I was kind of like, oh my gosh. The greatest sin is bringing children into this into world. Into the world and that she didn't couldn't define uh, infidelity as a sin and then looked at murder the way she did. And I don't know. She does kind of, you know, and that, and that just leads down the whole eugenics path right there and it just leads right on down that path of her belief and her atheistic Absolutely. Mr. Charlie. Uh, that was that was mine, the greatest sin quote. And, you know, for a person like her, I think really what she should have been praised as is one of the greatest intellectual dancers that have ever existed. Absolutely. She's mm-hmm. uh, She should have run for Congress. I think she would have done, Probably uh, done well. quite well in there for herself. With what that said, tell us your like favorite Joe quote. Biden, huh? Tell us your favorite quote from Margaret Sanger down in the comment section below. Again, boost the algorithm. Thank you so much. We love you. That's really it for, for today. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Check out the bird.